Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. Many experts who study aging in America today come away with an inescapable conclusion. We live in an ageist society. We make pronouncements about the perspective and wisdom we gain as we age, and it's true. The larger truth, however, is that our culture simply values its younger people over older folks. We're profoundly afraid of getting old. But in today's episode, Anne Monroe offers a powerful antidote to society's negative stereotypes about getting older. For more than 40 years, Anne has been a passionate advocate for all of us who strive to age with safety, dignity, and grace. She has led public and private sector programs in mental health, community health, managed care, and philanthropy, sparking lasting improvements for vulnerable older people and young people. She has vigorously fought against the misperception that younger people are givers while older people are takers. And we'll talk about how her many experiences have informed her personal mission to change our public policies to invest in the future of all generations and support productive lives in our later years, despite the hardships and losses we often face. She'll share some of her personal lessons she's long, long learned along the way, issues of long-term care, the challenges of aging in rural versus urban communities, and oh yes, the unforgettable story about how she decided to create her own Grateful Live Tour as a testament to those who made a difference in her life. So now let's meet our guest, Anne Monroe. And welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ron. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. We've had, uh, just for the uh, knowledge of our, our listeners, Anne and I served together on the New York State AARP Executive Council. So we've had an opportunity on several of our meetings to have really lively, interesting discussions about aging and ageism. And partly, part of which inspired me to bring her on the show because she's got lots of great things to say. So, but before we dive into the topic, um, as as many of my listeners already know, I'd like to give my guests an opportunity to start off by telling them a little bit about their own journey, uh, because I find the journeys of folks on my show to be as interesting sometimes as their topics. So um, I'd like to give them an opportunity to say, how did you get to where you are today? So just give us a brief recap of your long career. All right. Well, it was a long and winding road. I will mm-hmm. that. I'm a native of Wisconsin, rural Wisconsin, and um, went to college for a couple of years. And then, like any good 60s girl, I dropped out of school. And it took me a total of 10 years to get a bachelor's degree and 10 years to get a master's degree. But all through that time, I was working in very interesting jobs um, of a whole variety of kinds. And I learned that what really worked for me was to be curious, to ask a lot of questions, to take chances. Along the way, I was married, have two daughters, and um, but I never seemed to be able to pass up an opportunity to do something new. So that took me from uh, Chicago to working in state government in Illinois to be working in the mental health system when we were deinstitutionalizing the first group of people out of long-term mental health institutions into the community. 
And that really opened my eyes to some of the challenges that human services have for everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, when you charge somebody from a mental hospital with an appointment card three weeks away, you should not be surprised when they're back in your facility in a week and a half. Our um, system is very focused on institutions and not community care. And I'll come back to that when we talk about services for older people, because that is still the model that we seem to be stuck in and unable to really pull ourselves out from that. So I did that. And then I had a chance to uh, move to California and take a job as the senior VP of human resources at Blue Cross of California. So I thought, hmm, I've never lived in California. My family was willing to make a move. I'd never worked in human resources and I'd never worked in a corporation. This sounds like a perfect opportunity. <laughs> so I did that and I was there for almost 20 years. And uh, we took the first blue plan, Blue Cross Blue Shield plan, we took it private. We were the first in the country. And that was also a big learning lesson for me. And out of that, I moved into philanthropy, where I focused on underserved populations, primarily older people and children in poverty, which mm -hmm. brought Buffalo, where I headed a brand new foundation for 20 years. And now I'm retired and get my policy juices running through AARP and some other places. So that's uh, how I got here. Wow, that's great. Well, it, it certainly uh, gives me heart to listen to this this story because I think one of the issues we have today, among many misconceptions, is this notion that we have to proceed in sort of lockstep, you know, sequence in life, and not yeah. true at all. Doesn't you know? Doesn't not not even true through college, the graduate school, through uh, you know, career paths, and you know, I'm sure that your crossing into these various sectors really informs you in, in many ways and and makes connections in ways that you would normally get if you just went straightforward, you know, in, in one sector or one industry, you know, whether, you know, profit, nonprofit, whatever it is. Because um, I think that's one of the problems. We don't we don't take chances and get different perspectives so we can connect the dots. Even, you know, as you were talking about, you know, so you're involved in mental health fields. Um, and, and in some cases, you know, we we do know, looking at aging issues, that there are parallels between people with disabilities and people as we age, but they're not the same thing, but they do inform each other and show us, you know, similarities and how to deal with these issues. Well, um, I think you're right, Ron. And, and when I look back on my many years of doing various things, you take something from each one of those settings and you look at how it impacts the other settings and pull from that. And your other point about a network, I could never have done what I've done in my life without having built strong and positive relationships along the way that were mutual and that I could call on at various points in time. Um, I think, as I said, curiosity, asking a lot of questions and really valuing relationships um, uh, are two keys to having a rich, diverse, older life. Exactly, exactly. So that's a good transition to, let's talk about, you know, getting into aging and ageism. Um, 
one of my uh, favorite, you know, takeaways from you is is your lines about, you know, the negative stereotypes that that older people and I, I, I use advisedly older people these days as opposed to seniors, because I don't know what seniors mean anymore, <laughs> other than you're a senior in high school or a senior in college, you know. Um, but uh, so but there is this perception that the older um, demographics of our country are takers rather than givers. So it's the young people who are giving and, and recognizing that that earlier in life, older people did give. But now they're takers, which I think and we agree is patently untrue. Well, I think that it um, I, while I agree with you that that's something that people say, I also look at it from a policy perspective. And the kind of the mantra is that when we as a society invest money in children, you hear it all the time. They are our future. Mm -hmm. We must support them. We must help them grow. Not, frankly, that we do so much to help them grow. I think it's a little short on that end as well. But when we talk about older people, we talk about the cost of long-term care. We talk about how much everything, um, how much high their needs are. And our generation is really interesting because if you read one thing, you'll read about um, how wealthy our generation is. But then if you look at it from another side, you'll see that the poorest population in the country are older women of color. Hmm. And so about, um, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but my recollection is about half the folks are wealthy or have sufficient dollars or more than sufficient dollars in their homes, in their 401ks, in their investments to manage their life. And the other half are, are needy and right. really sports. But we don't see investing in older people as having a return. And to me, that's when I think about economically, that's the difference between an investment and an expense, is you make an investment because you're going to get something back for it, like we view our children. But we view the money we spend on older people as an expense, and we do not see that benefiting the country at all. And that's where I think ageism plays a huge role, right? Um, defining that. Yeah, and I think that you can look at it a number of ways uh, as as investment and and the return on that investment. Uh, I think the numbers by themselves, you know, tell some of the story, which is that. Uh, well, first of all, wh what do we mean by older people? There's a tremendous range. So it may be true that as people get into their 80s or 90s, they require a higher level of long-term support. Right. But we are living longer and we're living more vitally. Uh, and I think that uh, there is certainly a lot of attention being paid um, to how to do that, how to take care of ourselves, to, to invest in ourselves through exercise, through proper dieting, through um, cognitive and social engagement. So I think by this sort of personal investment, that the return on older people then uh, is that we're, we're still very active contributors to society in many ways. We're contributors. We're big contributors to society. And um, we're not an afterthought. 
you know, we're not something to be uh, held at a distance and paid for reluctantly. I mean, I don't know where it's going to come out, but all of the discussion about whether or not uh, certain uh, Congress people are going to try to reduce Social Security and Medicare, like it doesn't matter to people. And the one senator said, well, you know, I get a good pension from the Senate and I'm a veteran and I get something from that. So if I have to cut back on my Social Security, it's not so bad. And I thought, boy, are you out of touch with people? You are really out of touch with the way people rely on Social Security, which, by the way, is their money anyway. It's it's money they put aside all these years. But I worry that um, we're not going to be perceived as givers, as contributors, and only as people that need to be taken care of by the society. Right. And, of course, there are some very pragmatic um you know, uh, contradictions to that in terms of taking care of it, because I'm sure you know from all your work that uh, a very large number of grandparents are now taking care of grandchildren. So they are literally care caregivers as well. Um, and, um, and I think just to go back to your earlier point about, um, uh, you know, sort of this divide between haves and have nots, I think it is, somewhat extraordinary and disturbing because I think you're right in that. And a lot, there's increasing data about, you know, that gap getting larger. Um, and I think it, it may be also getting larger across demographics among older people, because I, you know, I look at um, um, places where, like where I am on Long Island, which is, you know, overall a very affluent area. Um, that said, uh, to your point, um, I'm upset to see that there are still, you know, probably 300,000 or more families that are food insecure in, in probably one of the top five wealthiest overall regions in the country. So it, it's something that I think that we need to look at, and especially as we get older, uh, supporting this population because we can contribute, you know, and I think the the more support you give older people um the more they can contribute um even more than they are now you know in terms of i, I would guess that a lot a lot of the taxes are still contributed by older people um That's and, what I, there is this thing called the longevity economy mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who uh, have have if not wealth comfortable uh cushions beyond public money social security and whatever but it's very deceiving. And I can imagine in a community like where you live, it would be particular to the deceiving because they would be kind of the invisible poor, the older folks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and when, when they become visible, it's when you see how many people are showing up at food pantries. That's right. And it's shocking to people. Um, I do want to go back to your point about seniors versus older people. And uh, I'd recommend that our listeners go to the Frameworks Institute, the hmm. group that specializes in how to frame messages around tough social problems. They just did a most recent one this last week on childhood immunizations and how to frame messages about that. They did the seminal work on 
ageism and how to talk about it and how to um, to best position people um, in this uh, uh, area. So um, they found that words like seniors and words like, um, uh, well, certainly words like uh, old people uh, really did not generate public support as much as words like older people. Elders did not score well, except in certain religious communities where an elder person, religious and ethnic communities. But that's how we've seen a shift away from the word senior, which implied somebody who was kind of doddering and not um, not a giver as much as old pe older people. And the other term that you'll hear a lot now is older adults. Mm. As I said to you, I prefer older people. It's kind of a continuum of young people, middle-aged people, and older people. So that's how I like to frame it. Yeah, I like it too. So, uh, and we're going to take a short break now. Okay. Um, uh, but uh, when we come back, we'll be talking much more with Ann Monroe, folks. Uh, so don't go anywhere. Uh, we have a lot more to say in our next two segments. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance of success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Ann Monroe, a passionate advocate for older people with more than 40 years of experience leading various public and private sector programs. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about you know uh, the the framing of of uh, language and talking about se seniors, older people, and and we talked about seniors versus older people. And I I think the framing of language is important in terms of dealing with ageism. Um, you know, I was you know <laughs> a few years ago I was trying to figure out in terms of older people how to differentiate, I guess, younger older people, you know, in their forties and fifties as opposed to older, older people. And, and some people talk about the oldest old. Um, so I came up with the term, which 
I don't know that I really like it anymore, but sort of yolders, basically, you know, younger. So basically trying to just get the notion that you're still young when you're old. Um, but I think that uh, let's talk a little bit more about this framing and language and ageism uh, uh, that, that you've experienced and sort of how to confront it. Well, um, sure. I think there is the general issue of language that you look at from a cultural perspective. And then I'll use two specific settings, employment and healthcare, to talk about how it plays out. But generally, we, the way we talk about older people is often um, very subtle. We use the term microaggressions, hmm. where it's like, it's nothing big like saying, Ron, you're old and I don't like it, but it's very subtle. Like, for example, Ron, you look good for your age. Well, that's right. a subtle thing. Why don't we just stop and say, you look good? Why must we, because what we're implying there is that somebody your age real, usually looks really bad. Right. Age, but that's an ageist kind of thing. We also talk about um, things like, oh my God, I can't find my keys. I'm getting so old. But when we were 16 and lost our keys, it wasn't because we were getting old. It was because we were forgetful or we forgot where we put them. All the things that are happening to us as we get older, but it's not because we're older, it's for those other things. But we blame age for a lot of our problems. And the result is that we don't like to get older hmm. because we're going to have these problems that come with age. Now, I'm realistic. I know that at 76, I'm a little more achy than I was at 46. I mean, I realize that. But mainly, the issues that we have as people are not because we're older but because we have certain things about which we are just changing. You know, a, a woman, Ashton Applewhite, great name, right? Mm -hmm. But wrote a book called This Chair Rocks, and it's all about ageism. And she's done a wonderful TED series, if people want to watch that. But she says, you know, my left knee is really aching, and it's because I'm older that it's aching. But my right knee is fine. So maybe it isn't because I'm older. Maybe it's just that my knee is degenerating. And I think we imply so many things about getting older in our culture that it really hurts it. I said I would use a couple of examples. Um, healthcare is a good one. I really resent being called honey and deary. Mm -hmm. Now, you're a man. I don't know if they call you that in the healthcare setting. But they certainly call me that, but they don't call my daughters that. So it's not like just because we're women that we get called honey or deary. It's because I'm an older woman that I get called that. Um, I had a, a anecdote I'll share with you that is, uh, it's, a, it's on point, I think. But I was in a doctor's office and he handed me the paperwork at the end and he said, give this to the girls outside. And I said, they're not girls, they're women. And he said, but I want them to feel young. And I said, well, trust me, it's not doing it. That's not. So the next time I saw him, he smiled at me and handed me the papers and said, 
hand this to the staff outside. And I thought, you know, whether he said that to everybody or just to me, I don't care. He was now had a kind of awareness about what that's like. Another example in healthcare is how many times you might go with a child, with a, an adult, and the healthcare provider talks to that person and not to you. Like you somehow are beyond understanding and being able to communicate. They talk instead to your um, partner or the person who's with you. That's a microaggression that that is about ageism that I'm sure that physician, if confronted with it, would not have been clear about that. So where microaggressions are, they're kind of small cuts, you know, that help to destroy our sense of ourselves. And that's the last point that I would make on this. Ageism is the only ism that is still tolerated in our society in terms of public communication. Have you seen that commercial where it's an insurance company, I think, where they say, we don't want to turn you into your parents. Right. Parents have all these uh, outdated ideas and outdated behaviors. That's very ageist and very insulting to older people. But it doesn't seem to resonate with that insurance company. It doesn't, and we won't use names, but I've watched this commercial a number of times, and I confess that I turn off the sound when the commercial comes on. Uh, I'm just tired of it. I agree with you. I find it obnoxious. And and, and some of the things I listen to, that guy, and, and I'm like, what's wrong with that? I think that's a good idea. <laughs> you know, yes, there's always natural tension between generations, but there's always contributions from either side, you know, and that we have to acknowledge. So I totally agree with you. And I think one of the things I wrote about recently was just um, um, a, uh, a story that I, I heard about a very, you know, vibrant woman uh, who was in her mid 50s who became um, uh, a triathlete. And so it was a story, a quick story about her and about her running and how you know her running is and 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 her comments the woman's comments were like she's been running she she's working with other triathletes who um uh are in their 60s and 70s and 80s so it's actually quite a, a nice story and the 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 woman um who's uh, the reporter says at the end of the of the segment so the lesson is that running keeps you young and and my response was no, it doesn't. <laughs> it keeps you fit, but it doesn't keep you young. You know, you still get older. <laughs> very, very good example. And I think we're seeing in the workplace, we're seeing a lot of this playing out. Um, we know that people over 50 were the first to lose their jobs in cutbacks and even in COVID and are the last to be called back. Um, we also know that uh, there is in many industries, uh, a, it's not very subtle, desire for young people so that ads will read, you know, um, uh, they won't use the term young because that's illegal, but, um, you know, they'll use terms like newly educated, on the way up, terms such as that, which tells you 
that people are not getting, you're not going to get hired if you're 50, even though you may have 20 years of experience. AARP um, had, was, is part of a lawsuit where an attorney was looking for a job with a company and the, um, the ad said, can have no more than seven years experience. Oh, wow. Now, what does that tell you about who they're looking for? I don't think they're looking for the 50-year-old who went to law school. They're looking for the, and he sued. And what the courts have found, and AARP is, um, is uh, appealing this, is that the age discrimination laws do not apply to applicants. They only apply to employees. So there you have an example of, you can't even get in the door because the law doesn't cover you from an, from an older perspective. And many industries, finance, tech is a particular um, uh, problem for that, where they have given up experience for youth and uh, what they call innovation and energy, like you don't have any energy when you're older. And I think that's a terrible loss in organizations, experience. I mean, we as older people have a responsibility as well, not to say, well, in my day, or I've always seen it that way. So we're not totally innocent in that. But I do believe that our society is skewing much more towards younger workers, younger people, and looking at us more and more as expendable. Mm. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that is often the case. Um, and I think that over the long term, there may be some natural correction in that um, uh, <laughs> as society gets older, you know, the predominance, uh, you know, the, uh, will be on older people that just demographically. So in, in a similar way, there, uh, you know, so there is some self-correction just in the same way that I think that uh, the advancement of of women in the workplace has happened because there were more women, you know, literally there were more women going to med school, going to law school, going to college, entering these professions. And so I think just by dint of presence, some things start to change um, because they're, they're, it, you can't, it's inescapable. They're, we're, we're there. That said, it's unfortunate that we miss opportunities for real intergenerational collaboration and understanding. And well, I and I think that um, intergenerational is important. The dilemma that comes with all of the women and who are, for example, in law school and medical school, I think they're in the majority now, is that doesn't help those of us who are in the workplace who are 50 or 60. And, um, you know, with, with the economy the way it is, people need to work longer. They choose to work longer, which, by the way, is another reason why there's a congressman opposed to uh, Medicare keeping the age where it is, because people want to work longer. Well, I don't think that's quite true, except we as older people, when we're ready to leave the workforce, hopefully on our own volition, we've thought through what life after work is going to be. I mean, I'll tell you, when I retired after working 50, 60 hours a week for 40 years, I really didn't know what to do. And um, it, it's very important that we find productive ways to contribute. 
And intergenerational work is a good way to do that. We know from a lot of work that's been done that that is the best way to have younger people understand older people better and vice versa. And I think as new retirees, there are ways that we can work in those multi-generational programs that will help keep us not just vital, but learning and curious and advancing our own as well as others' knowledge. Yeah. And I think as we get older, too, there and retire from paying jobs, we can get other paying jobs. But one of the big areas of contribution that I, I do think ARP acknowledges, among others, is volunteerism. You know, that that people have the opportunity now to contribute in ways that, you know, that they couldn't necessarily before. They were raising families. They were, you know, uh, contributing to their retirement savings. But this is an opportunity to really give and again, uh, give back to society in ways that I don't think are counted. I mean, I think that there are studies looking at what is the, you know, the aggregate value, monetary value of of uh, volunteer work, um, uh, and and things like family caregiving, which is another area, right? We're, we're not acknowledged in terms of how much um, people contribute in terms of family caregiving that help, you know, keep. Um, you know, older people who need long-term care out of institutions. Right. And I think now it's even more important. I was at a meeting the other day where we were talking about this vicious cycle of not having enough staff in a nursing home to staff the whole facility. So they close units, which means they have fewer beds available. People in the hospital can't go into rehab or long-term care so they're backing up in the hospital, which means you can't get new admissions and people who need. So that whole that whole long-term care system is very clogged. And as a result, people more and more are needing care in the community, either because they want it or because they have to default to it. And we have not valued the family and volunteer caregiver very much in our society. We've deferred all of that to the institutional system, and we have to regain that responsibility, I think. Right. Now, Anne, you've you've worked in a number of urban settings and rural settings, and uh, you, so you've had a lot of observations in this area. Could you talk a little bit more about, you know, just getting older in, you know, urban versus rural settings? Or... Well, I, yeah, I think... Um, Certainly in rural areas, the lack of transportation mm -hmm. uh, is huge in terms of getting to services. You know, uh, if you're familiar with PACE programs, they're uh, programs where people live at home but have almost daily uh, involvement in activities and medical care, and there's a lot of support provided. And when I was at the Health Foundation, we funded the first rural pace in New York, down in um, Olean. And the challenge is older people in rural areas, they're very, it's dense in terms of a lot of them, but there's wide distance between and among them. Mm. How do you look at pulling them together for day programs, for things that would allow you to stay at home, not be isolated, but still be able to have um, 
care during the day that wouldn't rely on your family. So transportation is a huge issue in rural areas. Also, the, the, the lack of other kinds of services, geriatric mental health, dental services, things that older people need are very sparse in rural areas. And there's also the kind of um, belief in rural areas that we should be responsible for ourselves. You know, that self-reliant thing that makes it very hard to ask for help. We don't see the same things in the city. Obviously there are services, people are closer together, um, but that's a generalization about urban communities because as you move into more communities of poverty or ethnically oriented communities, there are very there are different attitudes towards public services and uh, that make it sometimes impossible to meet the needs of those folks. Yeah, I think one area that, you know, you mentioned in addition to these other kind of social services that's become clear that we need um, for older people as well as younger people is um, uh, Internet services. And this is one area which. Um, yes. Yeah, that uh, there there are large areas of the country um, in between urban areas where people uh, don't have good Internet services. And this is increasingly, as we found out from the pandemic, that this is a, a really vital need that a lot of people need to stay connected. So not having that sort of support, you know, is is really another thing we need to think of, especially because, you know, seniors, again, in spite of the, the you know, uh, I hope disappearing stereotype that, oh, they can't handle technology is is simply not the case. They need it and it's, it's part of their daily life. So, so Anna, we're going to take another short break. Okay. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking uh, one, much more in our third segment with Anne Monroe, a passionate advocate for older people. So don't go anywhere, folks. We have one great segment to come. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering, no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. 
From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. Once again, I'm talking with Anne Monroe about her lifetime commitment to supporting older people and, and really people of all generations and fighting against ageism. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about, you know, investing in, in services, uh, looking at rural versus um, uh, urban populations. And we were talking about technology, which, you know, we, we kind of overlook, um, especially in, in rural areas, but but in general, I think for older people and Part of that, I think, um, comes from the, uh, I hope, fading stereotype. Well, old, older people don't know what to do with technology. You know, uh, they don't know how to deal with it. So, um, and, and I think that may be the case for people who are, frankly, in their generally the late seventies, eighties, and older. Um, nevertheless, that that said, um, I do have. I, I wrote about her recently, uh, uh, one of my aunts who is uh, 101 years old, who was still a very active user of, of uh, computers, laptops, texting, um, email, so internet use. So I, I think this is going to fade, but, it, but it's also become a, a necessary component of our life for people of every age. And, and, and you, before the break, you were talking about how we're not investing in, in this sort of education to keep people into in as part of the system right i think there's a couple of components to that one is it's unfortunate that in many many rural areas of new york and other states there is no internet connection there's no wi-fi so even when you begin to talk about the value of telehealth which for people who are more isolated could be very helpful you can't even go there if the signal or the wire doesn't get you to that home or that place. And uh, we've really stopped look stopped looking at that as um, a significant problem that may need to be solved by society. Uh, the future of telehealth, I think, is just beginning to be explored. Certainly in the uh, during the pandemic, we learned how to do Zoom, how to do things like that. And uh, I did a lot of teaching of people my age about how to use Zoom because of, of a program I was involved in. And if you were patient and you walked them through it, it was very easy for they're smart people there. Um, however, when my granddaughter was trying to help me do something, she went so fast. Well, you hit this, then you do that, then you do this, then you're done. It was like, I couldn't even begin to follow. So that's another volunteer opportunity, I think, for older people who are more facile with technology is to help their peers achieve that same level of functioning. They might do it better than our grandchildren for whom 
that's just second nature and they can't even tell you how to do it. Right. And, and that's another one of these things where I think, um, you know, we fall into these stereotypes about, you know, old dogs can't new, learn new tricks. Um, and my retort to that is, uh, yeah, young pups can't either, <laughs> depending on what the, the trick is. Um, and so I've, I've had experiences when dealing with um, younger people where I'm dealing with something that I understand quite well. It's second nature to me. And if I did the same thing that you just described, you're, you're, um, what, well, first you write this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this, they would be just as confused. So well, I don't, it's again, so it's, it's your left knee and right knee analogy. It's not the age. <laughs> it's just the circumstance. Right, right. Um, yeah, I think you're right, Ron. And that's a place I think where, now take that idea and put it in the workforce where they're putting in a new payroll system, but you've been used to the old one. Do they allow you the time to learn the new system? It may take just a little longer because you have to go through it in a little more orderly way. It may not be quite as intuitive, but is there patience for you as an older worker in the workforce? And we find that that's often not the case. Yeah, and I think uh, like a lot of training, uh, unfortunately the trainers are people who know the system. Right. And so they don't even they don't know what's not intuitive to people, and most most cases it's not intuitive. You know, when I one of my particular pet peeves is when uh, my computer or my cell phone is upgraded, um, and I look at it and it's like, well, what happened? What did you do? Where did things go? And you can spend some time figuring it out, but it's not intuitive. You know, it's it's designed by people who already know how to use the product. And yet that is assigned to you as being old and out of touch and unable to learn new things. Right, right, right. So so one of the things uh, getting older, which I think is important, is what, what helps you um, age well. Um, and I think some of the things you and I have talked about and, and I have with other people is for things like just being, well, uh, being able to be grateful for your life in spite of hardships, which inevitably do happen. I mean, that's why we have long-term care. We want to stay vital and active, but you know, things happen. So you have this system, which is not, you know, which is a patchwork, I agree, but at least it, it's necessary. But one of the things uh, that people often talk about that you've talked about that I liked a lot was uh, being able to be grateful for what you have in life as opposed to um, resentful of what you don't have. So one of the stories that you told me, which I thought was terrific, I wanted you to repeat it for our listeners, is your Grateful Live tour. Sure. Um, about uh, eight years ago now, I had a serious um, knee problem, and I was forced to be in a rehab center for five weeks. And although I did a lot of work while I was there, I had a lot of time to think. And I thought a lot about how did I get to where I am today? And it's not just what I did. Who in my life at critical points were there for me? Who made a difference in my life? And after I had recovered, I had some time off because I was still on uh, uh, medical leave. And I went on what I like to call the Grateful Live Tour 
And I went and thanked in person and people in my life who had made a significant difference for me. It's that idea of gratitude, but gratitude that's felt but not expressed is short, is less um, satisfying to me as a person and is not even available to the people I would be thankful to. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to find these people and just tell them how grateful I was for whatever it was that they helped me with at a point in time. Now give us some examples of some of those people. Sure. Um, well, I was, I told you I grew up in rural Wisconsin and I went to a very small Catholic school. And when I was in the second grade, I came home one night and my, my parents told me that the next day I would be in the third grade. There was no preparation. There was nothing. I just went to the third grade. And um, I was in, in church in that morning, and I didn't know where the third grade sat. And I remember standing there at the back of the room of the church going, I don't know where to go. I can't go to the second grade seats, and I don't know where the third grade is. And this one third grade girl came up to me, put her hand on my arm, and said, you can sit with me. And I remember that moment to this day, how I felt. She had no recollection of that moment at all. But it was very important for me to express that to her. One other quick example also from my youth is I was a debater. And I was the only girl on my high school debate team. And we went to the state championships. And I remember the judges wrote, when they wrote their comments, I had one that said, she did pretty good for a girl. <laughs> but the man who was my partner, boy then, but the man who was my partner had total respect for me and told me that I could do whatever I needed to do and wanted to do. And he was my best supporter. And I wanted, I found him in Chicago somewhere, and we had coffee, and I told him. There were a couple of other people that were people I had worked with, where I was at a crossroads, and I didn't know what to do, or I was struggling, and they came through for me. So it was a variety of those 10 people, but they had all played a very significant role in my life at some point in time. And so I called it the Grateful Live Tour, and I thanked all of them. And it was tremendously important to me because that gratitude, as I said, was not just felt, it was expressed. Right. So often we don't do that until after people have died. We go to their funeral and we talk about how important they were in our lives and whatever, but we never really express it to them. And uh, so that's what I did. Well, a lot of people aren't going to be able to travel around the country and do that, but you can do it through letters, and now you can do it through Zoom. So I really encourage people to go on their own Grateful Live tour. Right. Yeah. yeah. Clearly, the, for people of our generation, it's it's a play on words, but it's also, you know, yes, be grateful when they're alive, not dead, <laughs> she put that. Yeah. 
And I, I bet there was a tremendous impact uh, on them. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they were surprised, but I'm sure deeply moved in many of them, I'll bet. Yes, I think some of them were. There were a couple people who had been people who worked for me, not people for whom I worked. When you usually think I want to thank my boss for what they did, these were two people who at various times had worked for me and their loyalty and their performance just was over the top. And I wanted them to know about that. So there are all kinds of people in our lives that we need to be grateful for and expressing it is a big part of uh, what we need to do. Yeah, that's great. I, you know, I think it, it is important. And when you could do that so personally, I think, you know, we've talked about, you know, I know people are, uh, work on on legacy letters and, you know, right. and basically what you wanted to let people know when before you go. Uh, but this is a especially, um, I think, moving way to do it. So I think we're going to, uh, unfortunately, we have to close on that note, or fortunately, uh, I could keep talking for quite some more, but I just wanted to thank you, Anne, for a very lively uh, informative conversation. And uh, I wanted to tell people that um, if they miss my conversation today with Anne, you can still listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com or on my um, uh, my uh, website, rowellresources.com. Just go to my uh, website and click on the 45 forward tab. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, Anne, what's the best way to do it? Uh, my email is monroean, that's M-O-N-R-O-E-A-N-N-1064 at gmail.com. Okay. And then I'll have that. Uh, I have a 45 forward tab on my website, so you can get her email there as well. So folks, be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, when I'll be talking with Scott Fulton, distinguished longevity expert, who will offer a third of a trilogy of innovative conversation he calls extending your best buy date focusing on a notion he calls wealth span. So until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Rowell, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.